Hey, folks, this is the Shintaido of America podcast. I'm David Franklin. Connie Borden, Shintaido instructor and advanced practice nurse with 28 years experience in hospice and palliative care, is our guest today on the Shintaido of America podcast. Connie has led a Bay Area nonprofit hospice as executive director and worked on inpatient services as a palliative consultant. She has presented Cycle of Life. The Use of Movement for Life Review at the First and Second Global Conferences for End-of-Life Care. Additionally, she and H.F. Ito presented Shintaido for Caregivers for a period spanning 10 years at several San Francisco and Bay Area hospices. So that's who I'm going to be interviewing on this, Episode 12 of Season 2 of the Shintaido of America podcast, which is what you're listening to, and Shintaido, in case you haven't heard of it, or you've heard of it but aren't very familiar with it. Personally, I've been practicing this truly amazing form of body movement since 1983. It was invented in Japan in the 1960s by a group of artists, actors, and martial artists. It's dynamic, playful, and creative, a holistic health exercise for all kinds of bodies, and it can be a way to open up to deeper connections with the natural world, within ourselves, and with our communities. But, as I said a few episodes back, that's just a simplification. When we dropped episode 11 of season 2, I issued a little challenge to you, listeners, which I'm going to remind you of. Send in your definitions or phrases that describe Shintaido for you in about 40 words or less. I said I'd read a selection of the interesting ones during the outro of a future episode of the podcast, so I'll let the suspense build and get back to that later in the podcast, as well as telling you where to send your proposed summaries of Shintaido. No matter your definition of Shintaido, there is no question that it can be profoundly transformative and rewarding. And by the way, if you're just joining us, you can hear all the previous episodes of this podcast featuring both interviews and audiobooks at our website, www.shintaido.org. I'll tell you more about that later, but for now, here's part one of my interview with Connie Borden, advanced practice nurse, specialist in palliative care, and Shintaido instructor. Connie Borden. Thank you for joining us on the Shintaido of America podcast. I understand that you are a registered nurse and you've worked in the field of palliative care. Can you tell me a little bit about, first, what that is? Because people have probably heard of it, but you know, they might not really know. And how you got into it in the first place. Sure. The area that's called palliative care has grown substantially over the last 10 or 15 years. A term that people are probably more familiar with is hospice, um, and that is the actual level of care for the last six months during someone's life. Palliative care can go much longer than that. It can go for one, two, five years, and it's around the situations with a chronic serious illness that is progressing. Um, and uh, there are many disciplines involved, physicians, nurses, therapists, counselors, social workers, um, personal care individuals. So there's many people involved on the team. And coming from a professional point of view, have you personally have spent time 
with people who are in the process of dying, about to die, die. Um, I think I want to ask if that has impacted your own feelings about mortality and kind of the meaning of life, if I can say that, or let's say how to best use the time we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all of those items. If you talk to any person involved, almost to the individual, they will say that it's been their own personal encounters with death and dying that led them into the field. So for me, um, my mother died first, and then 10 years later, my father died. And both of those very intimate family relationships were what shaped um, my interest. And companion with that, my career in nursing and as a nurse practitioner, uh, I was uh, seeing many individuals. And I remember seeing one individual, she was 18, and another individual who was 100. And they both were dying within the next couple of months. That was very significant to me to see that spectrum. Um, from there, I moved into being an executive director for a hospice organization. Um, and that definitely broadened my horizons of incorporating spirituality into my own life and seeing how care can be delivered to people who are uh, imminently dying as well as people who are chronically and seriously ill. Can you talk about some of the things that help people who are in palliative care or hospice care psychologically? I mean, uh, what kind of atmosphere or what kind of... Um, you know, uh, situations tend to be beneficial for them? I think the most important thing that we can bring and we bring from our practice and others can bring from their practice is stepping into that room where you're going to meet that person and letting that person develop the agenda. So in our own practice, show up, show up at the door. Don't ignore people who are seriously ill. Be there, step in, be with them, and then be with them as they wish you to be. So I think that those are important lessons that we learn and can practice. And it doesn't mean we do it well every time, um, but we make that attempt um, and we see how we can grow from that. When you first got into nursing, when you decided to study and become a nurse, did you know you were going to go into this field of nursing or did you do other, uh, did you do other nursing uh, work first? Sure. A very care? fair question, because um, most of us in our training, and I'll date myself now, death and dying wasn't talked about. You know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did the most famous research. She walked onto wards, they called them wards then, um, with patients and said to the nurses, to the doctors, which of your patients are dying? And the answer was none. So that was very common within our field as professionals that we didn't acknowledge this was happening. We didn't have conversations to prepare either ourselves or patients and families. So it wasn't a common thing. So I worked uh, through orthopedics, med surge. Then as I worked um, in ambulatory care, I got more and more exposure. Time went by. I saw individuals who were sick. I had individuals and clients, patients who did die. And then it, and it brought to my awareness that I was not prepared for these situations. And I think that is true of many of the healthcare professionals that there's been almost little to none in terms of training. These last probably 10 to 15 years, it has begun to change. But 
for majority of us, there was no specific training. We learned as we went by the seat of our pants. And if we were brave enough, we talked to our colleagues about it uh, and learned more. Now, you mentioned Kubler-Ross, and I just want to fill in our readers that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a Swiss-born psychiatrist and author of a very famous book called On Death and Dying, published in 1969, which really, as far as I am reading here, um, really sort of was a groundbreaking, sort of created this field to some degree, or certainly brought it to attention. She's definitely known as the um, founder and leader for the hospice and what also has become the palliative care movement. Um, and I just recounted her own experiences of where she met within the healthcare field. Yet if she went to patients, she would say, tell me how you think you're doing. And for those that might have reflected on it, they said, oh, I think I'm dying. Um, it feels like it's getting near my time. So if you talk to people, many, many, not all, would want to talk about it. And she, of course, becoming from the field of psychiatry, that was what her field and interest was, is to talk. She certainly was not necessarily well-received within the healthcare professionals. And I think that's another translation for people who do, do a lot of other kinds of practices. You don't necessarily always get received well in the time that you're, you're doing the work. Well, this being the Shintaito of America podcast, we will talk about some of the things that might be done with people who are in the process of dying or uh, people who care for the people who are in the process of dying. So I am going to ask you, after we take a break, about your experiences as a Shintaito instructor and the timing of your professional, the stage you were at in your professional degree at the time when you first encountered Shintaito. But we'll get to that right after we come back. You've just been listening to part one of my interview with advanced practice nurse and Shintaito instructor Connie Borden, and this is the Shintaito of America podcast. I'm David Franklin. We're about to hear part two, but before I get to that, I have a favor to ask. It's not what you think. I'm not going to ask you for money or to subscribe to a paid version of the podcast with bonus material or anything like that. Actually, I am going to ask you for money later, but right now, that's not what's important. What's important is, if you're enjoying today's podcast, the most important thing you can do to help out is to tell people about us. I want to give a big shout out. Yes, that kind of shout out. But also the other kind of shout out, that is a big thank you, an acknowledgement of appreciation to those of you who have already shared the podcast on social media, thank you, and also to those of you who are going to share it, which I hope means everybody who can hear the sound of my voice. Also important, a shout out to people who gave us a good rating on whichever podcasting app you're using, that also helps us a lot. So... If you haven't done that yet, it really doesn't take long. It would be great if you could just hit the pause button and do that right now. Just share the podcast on social media and give us a good rating on your podcast app and then hit play again. I'll wait.
Okay, thanks. On with the show. Welcome back. We're still here with my guest, uh, nurse and Shintaido practitioner and instructor, Connie Borden. I won't bore you with all of her credentials. She is on the International Technical Committee, the Shintaido of America Technical Committee, the Shintaido of America Board of Directors. And you may have heard or seen her name in print because you probably possibly got some emails from her uh, haranguing you to join Shintaido of America, which I highly recommend. But besides that, Connie is a Shintaido instructor and that's what we're going to talk about. So, Connie, what I wanted to ask you was um, the story of how you first encountered Shintaido, what impression it made on you, and at that time, where were you at in your nursing career at, at that moment? Thank, thank you, David. I appreciate the questions. Um, so I was 32. I was just finishing getting my master's degree in nursing. So I had been working both as a RN and now was getting master's prepared. Um, so 12-ish years into my career. And I am known also for being the only person who ever joined Shintaido from the Japanese uh, cherry blossom festivals that are held here in San Francisco. So I saw the demonstration on the uh, platform in Japantown. They were doing a, a bow presentation and I was just stunned and amazed to see um, the bow techniques that were being done. I should um, mention for some people who might not be familiar with Shintaido that the bow is the six foot or two meter long wooden staff. Um, and this is an aspect of Shintaido which is much closer to the traditional martial arts, relatively speaking, Although from the point of view of traditional martial arts practitioners, it's really quite different from any traditional martial art. I called the phone number on the flyer and I started practicing classes uh, pretty much three and four times a week. Um, I, I knew that I felt better when I finished class. So it was doing that bit of releasing tension from very busy, stressful days. Um, I enjoyed the people. Um, they never talked about their jobs is what impressed me. Um, so they would talk about many other subjects, which was just fascinating. Um, and the other part to it was for at least a year, I did not understand what we were doing. Why are we doing this? But that drew me back because curiosity is a strong trait I have. So I was curious, what is this about? Um, and then from there, after about a year in, um, I was it was a whole new university to me. I'd been through formal education, baccalaureate degree, master's degree, but the Shintaido University of Learning was into a whole other facets that I had not encountered before. Now, we're going to talk in a moment about some of the integration of Shintaido practice into your professional career in palliative care and hospice care. But first, I want to go in the other direction and ask um, if there was anything in the, uh, you know, for example, lectures by Shintaido instructors about the philosophy of Shintaido and the sort of inspiration from the samurai culture about death and, uh, do, you know, was that ever something that was discussed? Because uh, I would say that one of the things we can find, for example, in the Shintaido textbook, uh, which, as listeners may know, uh, you can find 
on our website by listening, searching for past episodes of this podcast, because we've also recorded it as an audiobook. In the Shintaito textbook by Aoki Sensei, um, you know, he does uh, mention this concept that the, the, the traditional samurai philosophy of living one's life as, as best as possible up to the moment of death, partly inspired by the sort of meaning given by the possibility of death coming at any moment. Um, so was that something, was there anything in that aspect of Shintaido, was it, you know, a, a beyond simply the movements feeling good, did that start to provoke any thoughts for you, or did you hear anybody talking about that, or were there any lectures by any of the instructors about those kinds of things that you remember? Thank you for provoking and trying to elicit some memory for me, David. I remember being at uh, one of our practitioners' homes, and there was a discussion about someone who had died. And I left that gathering thinking, we really don't do death well in our community. It didn't strike me at that time that death was being talked about in a very open manner, um, or people were willing to share their feelings. But that was probably five years maybe into my practice. So no not directly the samurai influence. However, I can certainly say that I had many keikos and many goshkus I went to, and I would breathe deeply and be so grateful that I survived a keiko and that I hadn't died at that keiko. A keiko, by the way, for listeners who might not know this Japanese word, simply means a practice. And a goshku, literally translated as together under one roof, is a workshop. Right. So I can remember many times just feeling grateful that I had survived. Um, I also remember that there was some very, and it was short phrases, of encouraging us to just basically let go. I can remember um, learning uh, that we should, um, as in cutting the blue sky, um, cut and, and just let go and step into the unknown. And I have to, so that's probably the closest any little statement in my early years um, looked at that without it being a, um, a larger uh, discussion. Well, I certainly think that one of the, myself, also being a Shintaido instructor and practitioner, um, I certainly think that one of the strengths of Shintaido is um, to, you know, push us out of our psychological comfort zone into a place where we are, let's say, simulating a life or death struggle without actually endangering our bodies, hopefully, uh, or injuring ourselves or injuring anybody else, but still able to... And it's, I think there's more to it than thrill-seeking, um, although there might be a little bit of adrenaline involved. You know, that's a, that's a thing. Um, so let's go uh, to... Uh, as you got into the field of palliative care, um, nursing, um, you started to mention earlier that uh, there was a lot of talking and that alternative practices were not easily accepted. Um, did you see a, a, a uh, you know, amidst all of the good intentions of your colleagues and the people you're working with, did you see a lack of attention to body movement as part or the body as part of what should be 
done or you know many did you see that the body was being taken care of only for its essential needs without any pleasure or joy in body movement was there something missing so i'm gonna gonna make what could be just a global statement because i'm one person and it doesn't mean all of the other practitioners didn't have any other aspects to this but as I learned more about Shintaido and got more exposure to acupuncture and massage and Feldenkrais and all the other kinds of aspects um, uh, and herbs, I realized that there was a larger perspective that was happening. And so that was opening my sense to what else is possible. What I admired and what I've contrast is learning from my colleague who has been very active teaching in the school of acupuncture is that they're taught from day one that they have to do self-care, that they need to have a body movement practice or get massage or both or do meditation. They're taught that from day one. In Shintaido, meditation also was emphasized from day one. Was it ever emphasized in nursing or medicine? I cannot tell you that I thought I heard that maybe again until the last 10 or 15 years. But I do not recall any of that in my curriculum or practice. Um, We were there, we as healthcare professionals were there to serve others and taking care of ourselves was not the high priority that I heard through my education. I could have missed something, but I didn't hear it. Hey guys, this is David with just a quick reminder again, before we continue, If you've listened this far, you obviously like the podcast, so share the joy. If you're not a big social media user, that's okay. Just email the link to one person who might enjoy it. It's a good way to say hello to your friends. It doesn't cost money, it doesn't take long, and it will help us a lot. Thanks if you've done it already, and thanks in advance if you're just getting to it now because I'm nagging you about it. Okay, enough with the nagging. Back to the show. But really, if you like the podcast enough to have listened this far, then promise you're going to do it before you continue listening, okay? That's what the pause button is for. Okay, thanks. Really, on with the show. If you're just joining us because, I don't know, you missed the beginning of this episode for some reason, I mean, it's not like the radio where you just might randomly tune in, you probably chose specifically to listen to this, the Shintaido of America podcast. But anyway, let me reintroduce our guest today. Connie Borden has led a Bay Area nonprofit hospice as executive director and worked on inpatient services as a palliative care consultant. She has presented Cycle of Life, the Use of Movement for Life Review at the first and second global conferences for end-of-life care, and she and H.F. Ito presented Shintaido for Caregivers for a period spanning 10 years at numerous San Francisco and Bay Area hospices. So let's talk about how it came about uh, that Ito-sensei, who I should mention in case people don't know, uh, was a master instructor of Shintaido and who passed away as of the time when this was recorded rather recently in December of 2023. Um, how did it end up that uh, Ito was uh, leading workshops for uh, caregivers? Were, how did you make that happen? You did make, you, you were the person who made that happen, if I understand correctly, right? I was one of three people. And as in many things in life, 
it's sort of fortune bringing, if there's such a thing, bringing three people together with money, the resources, and the talent. Um, and so I have to acknowledge that Henry Kaiser, who as a family member with the Henry Kaiser Family Foundation, could provide money and annual grants. Uh, Ito Sensei was growing in his interest, and I was executive director at a local nonprofit hospice. So it was really the three of us together um, that we're able to recognize that we have a talent. Ito can be teaching. Henry Kaiser could be providing funding. And as a nonprofit executive director, I had access to um, the San Francisco Bay Area hospice caregivers. I should mention for listeners who might not know the name that Henry Kaiser, besides the connections you mentioned, is a quite well-known experimental musician and a Shintaido practitioner who we hope to interview on this podcast in the future. I can't make any promises, but we'll see how that goes. Um, and uh, so can you talk a little bit about the concrete, like what happened actually as Ito interacted with the and led this workshop? So as the three of us talked and I had just begun um, being at the local nonprofit, I did recognize, and, and within hospice, the community of nurses, social workers, therapists, doctors was much more open. In fact, we brought in many what we would either call alternative or uh, other kinds of interventions for our patients and families. So the, the atmosphere was open to it. And I recognized that we had a way to help our own caregivers um, avoid burnout, because certainly that's in the news lately. Um, healthcare professionals um, through the pandemic became quite exhausted. And how does one replenish oneself? It applies to all of us, but for healthcare professionals in the caring profession, where that's what you're, you're there to do, how do you replenish and take care of yourself? So as Ito and I talked, he showed the interest. Um, I just want to set the scene for our listeners because we haven't actually mentioned the name of the institution where this all happened. What is the name of the... The hospice that I was executive director for at that time was called Hospice by the Bay. Um, there has been many mergers and by this point in time and called By the Bay Health. And it was located? Here in San Francisco, downtown, in the downtown well, the office was that we provide care to people in people's homes and other settings. So they, we were not a hospice house caregiving. We were an office, but was right. based in San Francisco. Our clientele was San Francisco. Um, the preceding decade before me had been very much the HIV AIDS epidemic in San Francisco. That was an incredibly rich grassroots effort. Um, and so death and dying because it happened in such a young age of peoples in their late 20s and early 30s had impacted the hospice industry in our area and it certainly impacted those of us who were living in San Francisco. And if I gather correctly from what you're saying, it also impacted, let's say, the culture and attitudes and behaviors of professional caregivers to some yes, degree. Absolutely. Individual so, okay. people being willing to be caregivers the concept of hospice being presented. Um, we were in a, one of those, again, those places of the right time and place with very unfortunate circumstances that hospice could really grow. So we've, we've got the general setting. Um, Ito is about to lead this workshop for caregivers in your profession and tell us a, a little bit about how it was and how they reacted to it. Yeah. Again, um, we were very fortunate. We often did three workshops in a year, um, an eight-hour workshop, and 
again, San Francisco Bay Area is very blessed with many things. One is access to um, beautiful outdoor surroundings. And we were able to go a little bit north of here to an area called the Marin Headlands, um, a lovely institute um, there where they, where they brought people and um, they stayed overnight to enjoy the outdoor surroundings. We were able to use the beach, get the lovely food there and be in a setting that was feeling like we were in nature, yet we were only 40 or 50 minutes away from downtown San Francisco. So that was where we chose to bring people. That alone, I think, did a lot of healing and restoration. Um, and then Ito focused on what in Shintaido we call is our three principal movements, um, Tenshin Goso, cycle of life, Wakame, a seaweed-like movement, uh, and Eiko, the big glory, um, is, are the three movements that he would then present to people um, throughout the year. And tell us about their reactions and responses, perhaps during the workshop or even after the workshop, because, you know, personally, as you mentioned yourself, for the whole first year, you sort of felt that you didn't know what was going on. I personally, having first encountered Shintaido when I was uh, 19, with a little bit of experience in other martial arts, thought it was just the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Um, so, how how did how how do, you know how did Ito present it? Uh, did he and how did they f feel about it? What impressions did they bring home? Did you have some feedback process? Um, people certainly did share, and of course now I'm taking ten years of of feedback, I'm trying to uh, summarize a bit of it. Some people certainly, I'm sure, did feel it very strange. We were making sounds. That's not usually acceptable. Um, and we were making sounds in a group. Um, we we're making sounds that sound very bizarre. So some people thought that was weird. Um, but many people liked, as many of us have, the seaweed wakame one. That was one that resonated um, quite a bit with people. Um, and the fact that we were together practicing, they um, appreciated that. Um, so... A lot of it was appreciation around one, they just got some time. And that was what we were focusing on for caregivers. Here is time for you. You come, you get to take care of yourself during these eight hours. Um, Ito included a little bit of some massage um, and the pacing was very soft and gentle. And as Ito progressed over the 10 years, he recognized continuously that teaching a little less was actually appreciated much more. And so he would teach a little less and repeat it more often, let people practice it, ask people for their feedback, and, and that was well-received. And for the 10 years that we did it, we always sold out with easily, you know, 40 to 50 people attending. Fantastic. I, I believe that 10 years is a, enough time to have a substantial impact. And, and from it, we did gain a few people who were interested in more Shintaido practice. So we've had a handful of people who moved forward. They are also people who had had some other interests, such as in massage or acupuncture or other fields, and they were doing hospice as part of their own personal growth. So we did gain a, a handful of people who wanted to do more Shintaido. Yes, and I was going to mention that this uh, topic of vocalization and the, you know, overcoming, you know, to some degree, one overcomes barriers to, to express oneself vocally in these unusual ways that we do in Shintaido. Um, loudly, it's not really singing, but it might be singing, as we discussed in an earlier episode with Amanda Palmer. Um, 
do you see um, do do you see a pathway for these the value of Shintaido to be integrated in the process of taking care of people who are dying, even if it's outside of this official structure of palliative care? You know, my, is the question clear? Like, what role does Shintaido have to play in helping people to die or taking care of people who are taking care of people who are dying, even if it's outside this formal structure of nursing and palliative care? Got any thoughts about that? I do. Um, I'm going to come back again to our three principal practices within Shintaido, um, because I do think just by their names and activities, you could see that they would lend oneself. So one of the things that happens is you near the end of your life is that you look at your life and you say, did I contribute anything? What did I contribute? What will I leave behind? Do I feel at peace with that? And that's tension goso, our cycle of life. It's five movements. It, if you practice it, can take you from birth through completion of your life. You can also do it in the moment um, with what are you struggling with at work? What are you struggling with um, with you know, caregiving? So those five movements alone can be very useful um, for a person who is caregiving and also for the person who is going to perhaps imminently die. Other, other ones to that, um, wakame. So how to be with a person and how to touch them. I mean, Irene Smith, who also knew Ito, um, really resonated with the practice of um, wakame. We call it seaweed. She would call it wind and wheat um, because not everybody was at an ocean. But that sense of how to touch a person, how to respond, how to feel their response is so important when you're moving in to care for someone who may be in pain. Maybe they're anxious. Um, maybe they don't do well with strangers. Maybe they don't do with this, well with this intimate touch that you're going to have to provide. So learning how to touch and walk away is a great way um, to teach us and get feedback from another person about one's touch. Well, this asks question of touch and lack of touch uh, was something we certainly discussed on the episode with a massage expert and uh, teacher David Palmer, which listeners may also want to find on our website. Um, so I understand very clearly what you're talking about is the need in many people's lives for some kind of physical contact, which is not eroticized, but might be in a sense intimate. And I think this relates very much to the so-called loneliness epidemic, which I've been reading about. Um, so, okay, you mentioned two exercises of the three so far. And the third one, Eiko Dai, which literally translated means uh, great glory. But uh, I will describe it briefly, just in case there are people listening who haven't experienced every aspect of Shintaido, or maybe any Shintaido, but it's generally a, a movement about stretching and reaching upward and stretching and reaching outward towards the horizon. Uh, and maybe at the beginning, before all of that starts, allowing one to, beginning actually by relaxing downward. Uh, so that gives a summary of what we're talking about. In case someone has never seen it or experienced it, they might be able to imagine uh, this, let's say, extension and opening of the body from very deep down to rising up to directly above and then changing the focus continuously uh, towards the distant horizon. So that's the I think you describe it 
very well, David. Um, and where it can, and again, each person's going to have their own life and their own reflection, but Ito would speak about often sitting at someone's bedside and not physically doing a movement, but in his own mind, or maybe suggesting it if the person knew it, that let's do echo together. Um, and so there can be this running, reaching out toward the horizon um, and, and continuing to go, not feeling bound to where one is. Um, and I think that in many of the other traditions, I often think of it uh, in the Asian tradition, China, uh, Japan, the desire that one's spirit, when it's released from the mortal body, will travel and not be hung up by other things that might pull it back to the earth. And so to learn how to release, travel, and continue on with one's journey, whether you're running, walking, crawling, or standing and pointing homeward, um, is an important part. It also brings to my mind the issue that, as you described, the, the imagination of the movement can have an impact uh, that's, let's say, not only dependent on the physical movement. And, of course, use of imagination and image work, such as the name, seaweed exercise, for me also calls to mind the artistic aspect of Shintaido you know, using our imaginations, using image work to, in some way, engage uh, and connecting that to the body, even if the body is not necessarily physically moving. We're imagining physical movement. I, so. I think you touch on one that's very universal amongst many, many, many traditions, and it's about the mind. And for Shintaido, what we strive to do is that by moving the body, we calm our mind and we unify our mind and body together so we're more harmonious. Um, other people will practice other traditions, but it is that goal of how do you not empty your mind, because I don't think that's possible. You simply calm it and you let events go by without feeling attached or drug being dragged by them or and it's always a lifelong process. But Shintaido, because it can be more physical and, and vigorous, gives you a way to enter in to that piece of studying your own mind. Connie Borden, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for joining us on the Shintaido of America podcast. Thank you, David. This is the Shintaido of America podcast. You've just been hearing my interview with advanced practice nurse and Shintaido instructor Connie Borden, and I'm Shintaido instructor David Franklin. We're nearly done, but be sure to listen through to the end of the credits for the cherry. Before the cherry and before the credits, I'm going to pass the hat around among you who are hearing the sound of my voice and do a bit of busking here on the information superhighway. This is the part where I not only nag you again about sharing the podcast on social media and thank you if you already have, I also ask you for money. Shintaido of America, the producer of this podcast, is a totally member-supported nonprofit organization, and I really mean nonprofit, without any corporate sponsorship. There are no ads on the podcast. There are no large grants from foundations. There's just you, the people, the listeners, and there are many ways to support our truly micro-budget production of educational materials and I really mean that. We produce a huge amount of content on volunteer power, but some things just require a few bucks in the bank. So, one way is to make a one-time donation in any amount, 
Or another way is to become a member of Shintaido of America for $60 per year if you're hearing this in 2024. That's just $5 per month, and if you can afford that, it would mean a great deal to our hardworking team. You can do that, sign up for our free email newsletter, and also find all kinds of free educational resources at our website, where you can also find all the previous episodes of this podcast, which is www.shintaido.org. That's www.shintaido.org. That's whiskeywhiskeywhiskey.sierrahotelindianovember Tango Alpha India Delta Oscar dot Oscar Romeo Golf. Got it? Our email address is podcast at shintaido.org. And you can also find us on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube by searching for Shintaido of America. Our episode today was recorded and edited by me, David Franklin, with support from Sarah Baker, Connie Borden, Teresa Soldatova, Jim Sterling, the Joe Zawilski Memorial Fund, and of course, the members of Shintaido of America. Thank you. Now, about your 20 words or less explanation of Shintaido, here's one. Shintaido addresses some of the illnesses of modern life, such as feelings of alienation and loneliness, stress and fear, or lack of contact with the natural world, and treats these conditions as the enemy rather than treating other people as enemies. And finally, the cherry you've all been waiting for, Nature can be a valuable source of inspiration through observation. For example, we can learn from geese. When geese fly in a V formation and one gets sick or wounded or shot down, two geese drop out of the formation and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with it until it is able to fly again or until it dies. Then they launch out on their own with another formation or catch up with their original flock. The lesson, if we have as much sense as geese, we too will stand by each other in difficult times as well as when we are strong. That was a quote reprinted from the California Nurses Association newsletter, issue number one, 1991, and it was reprinted where? In the Shintaido of America Fall 1991 newsletter, And guess what? You can read back issues of the Shintaido of America newsletter, later called Body Dialogue Journal, and you can also listen to all the previous episodes of this podcast, all for free, at our website, www.shintaido.org. Thanks for listening to the Shintaido of America podcast. Contents of this podcast, copyright Shintaido of America 2024, with the exception of sound design and acoustic guitar effects by me, David Franklin, and Flower Dance, traditional music of Japan, a short excerpt of which was included for educational purposes. Shintaido, opening to life. (laughs) 